in my own experience, it it didn't feel like a single moment, I suppose, other than coming out. But I felt like it was a bunch of small choices and small affirmations I had to keep making to myself to get to that point. Because uh, that change does not happen overnight. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. In this episode, Dr. Sarah Nash speaks with AWARE Ambassador Austin Gordon about coming out as gay. Hi, Austin. Welcome. Hi. Happy to be here. I'm so glad you joined us. And uh, so Austin is an AWARE Ambassador for the CWC. He is passionate about promoting mental health and wellness on our campus. And yeah, Austin is a UF student. So I'm so glad to have you. What are we here to talk about today? Oh, I think we're talking about a lot of things today. First and foremost, we're talking about a story. And I'm happy that that'll be my story. And as a few caveats, uh, the experience I'm going to share with you all today is my own. So it might not reflect yours perfectly. And I kind of want to start with that just because I know everyone's story looks very different from one another. But I think there are themes throughout it that we can all we can all take from this. Uh, So the story that we're going to be talking about today is one of hardship. Uh, It is the story of my coming out and my sexuality and continually living with my identity, which for simplicity's sake, we'll call gay. And overall, I wanna make it a story about resilience as well and how we can take difficult parts of our lives and improve ourselves from them. Thank you, Austin. I wanna ask you before we dive into your story, and I love that you acknowledge that your story is uh, just your story and that everyone is different and unique and yet um, we can find often find connection in common themes. So I also want to just acknowledge that you are white and I'm white. Okay. And so that the intersecting identities can really impact people's stories as well. 100%. Okay. Um, and then I also just want to say, because we're doing this through the CWC and we are promoting mental health among college students, I wanted to ask you, Why does a story about identity and coming out relate to mental health in college? How are those things connected? Ooh, I mean, identity is just completely connected to our mental well-being. And I think it's silly to think otherwise. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, we're both white, and that helps paint an experience and the way we experience our our own mind, if that makes sense. I know for a lot of my friends who identify as African-American or Black, they come from families who don't believe in depression the same way that others might. So I think identity can affect our mental health in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I would also add, Austin, that in addition to identity impacting the way we view our own minds and come to understand what is happening for us, there are lots of reasons why different cultures might be skeptical of reaching out for traditional Western mental health services. So there's a lot that goes into identity and how we come to see ourselves and how we think about what's happening for us. Absolutely. And I think that's an entirely different podcast to get into, isn't it? We could, uh... It sure is. We'll, we'll save that one for another day. I think but, we should, um, yeah. yeah. But so identity absolutely affects mental health and your sexual orientation uh, has been a big part of your own identity development process. So where do we want to begin this story today? This story has two beginnings, both of which include me coming to terms with my sexuality One of the stories has to deal with my internal monologue, so to speak, my, the, you know, voice inside my head and the feelings I feel. And the second story deals a lot with what society was telling me at that same time. So what I was getting from my parents, my school, I went to a Christian school for context. 
Uh, so I heard a lot of messages from them and then my friend group. So there are really two stories to discuss here and two beginnings. Okay, so which one do you want to start with? I, I think it'll be fair to start with what I was feeling at the time. Well, how old were you when you, where does this, where does this beginning right. start? How old were right. you? I think those feelings, although I didn't have a name for them at the time, really began as soon as the people around me started talking about attraction. And unfortunately that age where we start thinking about attraction has just gotten younger and younger. And I feel like there's this unnecessarily like sexualized version of everything when we're young. And it, there's just kind of like this veneer of, of that. So I believe I first started feeling not necessarily sexual attraction, but just attraction for, for men around first grade, really. And again, I didn't have the words for that back then, but I understood that girls having cooties or, you know, finding girls cute or wanting to take them on a date, I, I didn't necessarily have those same feelings. And as such, I, I think that is when I began not identifying as much with my male peers, <laughs> which just brought along a host of problems. But again, another day <laughs> for that story. But I think at that point, the story of my feedback I was getting uh, really takes form as well. So as I began not identifying with males, it's, it's funny how early on a lot of men will learn or be socialized to call anything out that's different. And I, I was that kid in, in first, second grade that would go off to play house instead of playing football. Uh, and as early as second grade, I started getting made fun of and I didn't really understand why. And I think that was formative because it reinforced this notion inside of me that I was somehow more of a girl than I was a man, which was a whole journey to to understand because it, it it put a lot of thoughts into my head that these feelings that I have must be attached to me not being manly enough. So I think that's kind of the beginning there. And I know there's a lot more to explore. So Sarah, if you wanted to keep us more on track with, with how we explore these stories, um, feel free to just throw in some questions to help guide. Well, it makes me think about two different, you know, you're picking up on messages both about who it's okay for you to be drawn to or curious about. And you're also getting a lot of stereotypical gender messages about what masculinity is supposed to mean or what it's supposed to mean to be a male. And it's interesting that you were aware of those pressures or messages on both fronts as early as first or second grade. Yeah, it, I found it incredible that now looking back that at that stage in my life at for and in first and second grade, these children that are, I think seven or eight years old have already gained this understanding of what is supposed to be, big air quotes there, what is supposed to be masculine or feminine. And I think that continued to get reinforced and shaped how I viewed my identity. Um, I got it from my teachers even. Um, I, <laughs> I used to sign my name and there would be a little heart over the eye. And my teachers would say, hearts are for girls and stars can be for boys. So if you can put a star over your eye and your name, but no more hearts. And that might sound weird for a teacher to intervene like that, but again, that might resonate with some people who went to a Christian school or a Catholic school. And I, I would continue to get those messages and they continue to, to surprise me looking back on them now, just how much these teachers would hurt their students, although, you know, without intention to, uh, and how much they confused me even further. People you were supposed to go to for support were, actively adding to the problem. Can you say more about that? I mean, I'm thinking 
especially with a Christian school, um, there can often be a moral component to sexual orientation. Did you get messages around that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I, and this is just for context, uh, Sarah, but I think I understood my feelings a little bit more going into third grade. I learned the term gay in a real sense and not just as like a, an insult as a lot of boys will use that in, in place of something that's dumb or stupid. And I'm sure we've all heard that time and time again. But the first time I really heard what it meant, I, I so vividly remember that moment actually. It was in a Publix and those really nasty magazines that line the, the, the cash register. I saw one that was saying that the celebrity was gay and it was a big scandal. And I remember looking at my mom I was like, mom, what does gay mean? And she was so against telling me. So being in wow, third she grade. She didn't even want to tell you. No, no, no. Um, it was something not to be talked about in our home for sure. But I remember going home and Googling it. And that was the first time I really started to put a label or term on the experience I felt. And I, that was the first time I also realized that I am not alone in feeling this way, which was huge. Um, and now, now back to my Christian school experience, I think from that point on, teachers would, would, I, and I don't know how to say this in the best terms, Sarah, but they, they would work against or towards, I suppose, their own agenda without necessarily saying in those terms what they're doing. But it, the teachers would spread these homophobic messages without necessarily talking in terms of gay and straight. Um, and I think little things, those microaggressions, like telling boys they can't dot their eyes with hearts or, or whatever. And I think it eventually got a little bit more extreme as, as we aged further to the point where I remember a story in which somebody, and this was a female on Instagram, the school suspended her because they caught her liking photos of half-nude women on Instagram. <laughs> and that was just such a moment of, I can't be here. I can't continue to hide myself in a school that, although it doesn't state it, you know, in the clear, uh, obviously does not approve of of my identity and who I am. Uh, and at that point I left. What grade were you in then, Austin? That was sixth grade. Okay. That was sixth grade when that happened. And I, I left after my sixth grade year and went to a public school. I was thinking when you were talking about the messages that you were picking up on, that it's what, I imagine it's what teachers say, but it's also what people don't say you pick up on the lack of representation or the avoidance or the, the sense of taboo that surrounds it and that the silence can be just as damaging as overt stories or statements that are homophobic. Yeah, absolutely. And fortunately I felt as though my maybe fourth through sixth grade years, I I was very straight passing and I, I want to say both fortunately and unfortunately because I had learned what to repress and we can, we can get into that later uh, because repression was, had a huge impact on my mental health, but I, I learned what to repress and which parts to exaggerate. And I had like a close knit group of male friends and I was very straight passing. Uh, through those years. So by the time I left, it was a decision to leave for my academics because I was doing well in school and wanted to go to a school that was more challenging. But truly, it was equal parts of that and not feeling I would be safe if I continued my development there. Yeah, and good timing too, because in sixth grade, usually that's a transition point with our 
around that age, we start to become a little more interested and we're getting closer to puberty and just there's more social pressures at that age, even if we're just trying on different things uh, romantically in school. So I'm imagining you didn't tell your parents in sixth grade, I'd like to go to public school because I think I might be gay. Oh, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. I think all I heard from my family at that point was just passing comments about homosexuality. Uh, And there was a point where it would just be called disgusting if it was seen on TV. But more than anything, it was just an overwhelming silence. And it was just something that was not discussed in my household. So, you know, did you confide in anybody? And this is, (laughs) there have been many therapy sessions about this one, Sarah. There was one person who had similar feelings and they turned around in fear of me spreading rumors about them. They turned around and spread rumors about me uh, to discredit anything I could possibly say, which is when a lot of bullying began. And that was a big catalyst for me also leaving the school. That sounds really painful. It was, it was. And that was the first time I really experienced firsthand how not accepting people are. How dangerous it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very emotionally trying in such a formative time. And I was imagining an experience like that. And I've, I've unfortunately heard from students I've counseled other kind of horror stories of telling a peer that you think you might be gay or something similar and having a peer kind of out you in, in a way. Yeah. And there was a point where my parents were introduced to the situation because they knew I was being bullied at school and they would keep confronting me. Like, are these rumors true? Are these rumors true? And of course I had to just back up and back up and repress into myself and repress into myself saying, no, I'm, I'm totally straight. I don't know how these rumors started. People are just being mean to me. I remember being called a pervert, uh, which how a fifth or sixth grader knows that word still beyond me. Um, and of course, the F word gets thrown around uh, time and time again. So very fortunately, it was never physical violence. But that time of my life has like left scars on me that are still healing today, in all honesty. And I think I'm still having to unlearn certain things that I, I was forced to teach myself being in a quote-unquote survival mode for so long. Yeah, I like how you put that, Austin. I appreciate you acknowledging that. I think that sometimes, just to talk for a minute about bullying, which can come up around a lot of different issues or identities or perceived differences because kids in school are really um, aware of differences as you said so when when they're I think bullying relational aggression emotional aggression whatever we want to call it can those wounds can really linger and impact your ability to trust other people, your ability to build friendships, to feel like you can be authentic, to feel like people are going to like you and want you to be around if they really know who you are. So uh, there's all kinds of reasons why students might have experienced bullying and it's, it's real and it's painful and it's definitely something worth talking about. It is. And I think that's honestly a great segue at the point where I transitioned schools, I tried to be very straight passing and straight acting, probably through ninth grade. I had three whole girlfriends, which is just amazing that none of them clocked me the minute they got close to me, honestly. And they, they were all great. I, I, I have nothing but good things to say about all of them. Uh, and they were important to my development, but I think around ninth grade is when I probably started to ease up on the repression and, and like let parts of me flow that were maybe not as masculine. 
I honestly just couldn't sit through another game of basketball pretending that I was good or liked it. <laughs> but I, I, you know, started hanging out with more girls. Uh, and I feel like ninth grade was a time where it was very divisive and polarized between men and women. And I, I don't know why. Um, but I kind of left that male friend group to hang out with more girls because I felt like the males were just very misogynistic and all of those things you expect from, from high school males. Um, and around that same time, the bullying kind of started again. And interestingly, this time I started hating myself to the point where I wanted to hate others. And I think you often hear hurt people hurt people. And in my story, that was exactly the case uh, as I became a bully and bullied others pretty, pretty relentlessly late ninth grade into late 10th grade. So for a whole year, I was just a huge jerk. What was it, what was it you were picking on people about Austin? It's funny how, how much I've, I've, really repressed those thoughts and feelings from that time because I, I really hate thinking of myself as a bully. But a lot of the time it was kids who really couldn't defend themselves, ones that were acting feminine, big shocker there, I'm sure. And ones that were engaged in things that weren't like manly sports and, and, and stuff like that. And I think that's still like a difficult thing for me to talk about. It was a difficult time in my life where I felt violence was the right answer. Uh, and I think that mostly was due to conditioning, you know, in, in learning that men are supposed to be violent and fight back. Um, and my parents even told me as such, they, they, they would tell me that if someone's picking on you, you like you're a big, I'm six four. And I know you can't see that necessarily in podcast form, you're a big guy. I'm a big guy. And I definitely used that, you know, and I think people were scared of me. And I ended 10th grade with very few friends. So, yeah. I, I appreciate you. I imagine it's not easy to acknowledge that you also did some bullying. But I, I know we talked before we had this conversation and you really thought about what you were willing to share and what you wanted to share and that that this feels like it's such an important part of your story. I, it's hard to imagine you turning into a bully if you hadn't also been bullied and that in a lot of ways you were just externalizing an internalized narrative of homophobia and Absolutely. what was wrong with you and self-rejection Right, and then you're turning that outward on other people to to reject them for those same qualities that people have told you aren't um, acceptable in yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really wild looking back now and diving into my psyche from that time, and it, it it's just screaming all of those things that you were saying. You know, it 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 was clear as day, but in the moment, it was just. Oh, I hate these people around me. I hate feminine guys um, because I think I hated myself just as much. Right. And you were taught to hate yourself. Yeah, I was. So that was a, a big part of my story, like you were saying. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what, I guess I'm interested in the, in the religious side of this. Sure. Right. So you go to a public school, you're no longer having a religious education, but you're still living with your family. Obviously, ninth and 10th grade, you are becoming, you're hanging out more with, with females and you're turning into kind of a jerk towards more feminine or vulnerable males in school with you. Talk yeah. me through how you, how you felt about yourself at the time. Are you did you, do you even have an idea of how you felt about yourself at the time? In a spiritual sense, I, <laughs> I remember Googling and control-effing the Bible 
for anything that had to do with sexuality and then using those verses in two ways. Uh, one was justification for why I am treating other people this way. And two, rationalization for why I need to keep repressing these things out myself. So that was really a lot of the internal monologue going on there. <clears throat> and like I said at the beginning, these are true stories. And the feedback I was getting from that second story was my, my parents had gotten this like revived sense of a spirituality and we started going to church more. And fortunately we never, our church never had blatant homophobic sermons or anything of the like. Uh, but I remember those same subtle cues of non-acceptance being thrown around. And in youth group, it was a lot of, <laughs> I remember one person in the youth group saying that they turned to God to, to cure, quote unquote, their, their feelings, uh, their same-sex attraction feelings. And I was like, why isn't he doing that for me? Should I be praying harder? Should I be getting more invested in, in religion? So a lot of that self-hate was doubled down into feeling rejected by, at that time, what I called, you know, my God. Yes, I, thank you. I, it's also painful, Austin, as I listen to you. I, I just feel um, almost like imagining you and your essence of who you are just getting compacted into a smaller and smaller and smaller box just compressed and compacted um, and how oppressive that feels as you talk about it yeah it was like a gay little mime in a collapsing box <laughs> yeah so i mean that that really sets the stage too for i imagine you know we don't have to go into this part of it a whole lot, but just kind of imagining things like feeling really anxious and feeling down and feeling sad oh, yeah. and scared and angry and irritable and, you know, just all the different ways that that could affect your mental health. Exactly. Since this is a, a podcast about mental health, I think that is important to touch on. Of course, Sarah, at that time I had no concept of, of mental health. And I had no concept of what symptoms of anxiety are. And I was definitely feeling irritable. And I think that showed just in my behaviors alone that we described. Um, and I was definitely, there was, I would wake up each morning fearful to go to school. Because uh, it was either me getting made fun of or me having to bully someone. And then eventually get in trouble. Uh, and the worst part is I was a student who excelled. And, you know, throughout kindergarten through sixth grade for all that matters. And then I felt like things that I were good at didn't matter as much because I was living this daily narrative of fear. And, and the only thing that mattered in that part of my life was not being outed, not being, you know, seen as, as gay. It just took away from from everything I was supposed to be going to school for, you know? So what happened next? Like, I feel like we're only halfway through high school right now. Exactly. So I think the turning point was, and I, the dates get a little foggy here, but it, in my head, there's like a concrete timeline. Uh, we were on vacation and I was with, my best friend uh, at the time and a text came in on his phone and he was out back doing something uh, and I see it and it was him complaining to a mutual friend that he had to come on vacation with me because our families are friends and how it's just like such a drag to hang out with me because I'm always so like negative and mean and that was my first panic attack. <laughs> that was my first panic attack. I went into the bathroom and felt like I was dying probably for the next 30 minutes. And it was funny how something as negative as a panic attack truly 
began what, like the process of turning my life around. Like a breakthrough, the beginning of a breakthrough. It was, it was. Uh, it was equally terrifying and eye-opening. What was it that you started to become aware of then? I think <laughs> I started to see how other people saw me. And I think at that point I kind of developed, I think there's the psychological term for it, like a mind's eye. And I understood a lot more how my behavior was affecting those around me, even those that weren't necessarily the targets of, of bullying or name calling, how being around me was just not a good experience for them, whether it was the negativity or just dealing with the way I acted. Um, nobody wanted to be around me. Uh, and the thing I was fearful of, which was nobody liking me, came true. So fortunately, that is, <laughs> that is rock bottom there. Right. Um, and at that point, I started building myself back up from that point. Um, and I think everyone's story kind of has that rock bottom. And for those of you who have recently gone through it or are going through it now, uh, as cliche as it sounds, it gets better, but it only gets better when you begin to work towards it getting better. It doesn't just naturally get better. Right, you have to right. work at it. There was, there was a lot of reparations that, that went into building that resilience. And it was a lot of, a lot of emotional work. But thankfully, I feel like a lot of my self-awareness and just emotional awareness and emotional intelligence come from that process in my life, even though it was very difficult and just every day was was a day where I felt like I was um, just being the most vulnerable version of myself. I mean, that sounds pretty risky for a guy who had developed a whole lot of walls and defenses just to survive. To, you know, yeah. kind of start back at square one and choose to be more raw and vulnerable I have a lot of respect for you making that decision, Austin. Thank you. And honestly, I can look back and say, I, I respect the heck out of myself for, for doing that. And it was probably one of the hardest decisions of my life, uh, but I felt like something needed to change. So fast forwarding a little bit, things, things got better at school and kind of consequently, of, of my being vulnerable, I started to show more and more of my true self and come out to, to selected friends. I confronted my best friend about what he was saying uh, and we made up and we're actually still very close friends today. Uh, I love the guy, but I came out to him and he was like the, the first big person I was coming out to. Uh, and he was very, very supportive. And I think he understood now why I was doing everything I was doing. But especially for that time, it was incredible to have a very masculine guy like that be so accepting. Yeah, to affirm you. That's, imagine that's really healing. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was the first like time in a very long time where I could just sit back and relax without having to put up any walls. So you, at this point, you're still in high school, though, Austin? Yeah, I would call that um, the summer between sophomore and junior year, about. Okay, what about at home? Sarah, you were just getting right ahead of me. I'm, that's, yeah, that's exactly where I was going next. So after being affirmed by a close group of friends, well, I suppose we need to back up for just a moment. My mom found out because <laughs> she found my phone at night while I was sleeping and went through my texts and found me coming out to my best friend. So that's how I got to <clears throat> uh, display my sexuality for the first time to my parents. That's the first time they knew the truth. And my mom confronted me while I was showering in the morning before school so I'm cleaning in the shower, she comes in, and she's like, so you're gay? And I'm like, 
excuse me. Um, and I think that is the beginning of where my home life became not as good and my school life became a lot better. So it really was inverted at that point. Um, and I was scared to come home from school at that point. Just didn't feel safe for your full self to be at home. Right, exactly. Um, it was easier to be away from my very homophobic mom at the time uh, and just be at school or be doing a lot of extracurriculars. And honestly, I, that's a silver lining. I got involved with a lot of things at school and found out a lot about myself in the process. Which just ties in with kind of the resilience idea, right? Of how you can learn other ways to build your life, even if certain aspects of it are not affirming. That sometimes it leads you yeah. to, you know, sometimes we overcompensate in certain ways too, but that, that resilience is about finding ways to survive these things. And it was exactly, exactly, Sarah. And, and what was most incredible to me was it, it didn't feel like I was really doing anything spectacular at that moment. It was survival. And a lot of what painted that as resilience was looking back and finding the silver lining in it all and reshaping the narrative in my head to a story of strength rather than a story of survival. Yeah, I, like, I love what you're saying. So I'm wondering if we can, I don't want to skip over anything else crucial that you'd like to add. And I want to fast forward to college and what it's been like for you at the University of Florida as well. Yeah. Um, the only other big thing I wanted to say about high school was that I came out shortly after all of that. I think it was probably very early junior year. And largely it was, it was good. And my family continued to be the bigger issue. Uh, fast forwarding to college, which many of our listeners are, are going through right now. I think that what marked a different, a start of a new journey, if, if, you, if you will, for reshaping my identity. And it turned a lot into less about needing affirmation for my identity and more about exploring the nuances of it and how it intersected with other parts of myself. Uh, college was really the first time that I was surrounded by other people who identified as gay, lesbian, queer, so on and so forth. And it was the first time I was able to really find a community of those people in person. And at that point, it no longer felt like I was having to live as a stereotype to others because I was that gay kid for so long. So it was a chance for me to explore the other parts of my identity for the first time and kind of understand, you know, sexual attraction and sexual orientation is not gender identity, but I, I took some time to understand what my gender expression was and kind of the terms for that. I even was able to explore more of my orientation to the point of not having to be labeled as gay necessarily, but learn that there are many other labels out there that, that explore a bunch of different ideas and concepts for, for how people feel so I think largely college was a very inviting place for me. Um, and it, it, it just dealt with finding the right circles to run with. I was, I was contrasting your description of college and your new journey in college to the, what did you call it? A gay mime in a small, in a shrinking box or That's something. Right. That's right. Okay. That's right. So, but because what you're describing in college is it's like suddenly there's space, there's space for, you to explore yourself, not just to let your sexual orientation be more open, but to get to know other parts of yourself too. Like there's just breathing room and that sounds so liberating. And it was, it was. As a side note, I also started dating my current boyfriend two years before college started. And college was the first time I was able to really start visiting him since we were long distance for a long time. And that was also very affirming of, of all of the feelings I had felt, but, but sheltered for so long. So 
a huge thanks to to my boyfriend for that one. <laughs> and you all live together now? We do. In fact, I think I should know this off the top of my head. Next next week is going to be a six years. Wow! Happy anniversary. Thank you. You've been together longer than my husband and I. I think right around the same time. So I mean, that's a long. Wow. That's also just a long relationship to have while you're still in college. I don't see that very often. Where are things at with your family now, Austin? You've been in a long-term gay relationship for six years. Yeah. So quite unfortunately, the thing that really changed the tune for my family was my mother's passing. And it, it was hard at first. And I think there was a lot of nuance I had to explore within myself and reflect in on like my mother's passing was obviously horrible for my family, but at the same time, it was a moment where I felt safer at home. And I think anyone else who has had that type of relationship with their family and experienced something like that really struggles with, with the overwhelming amount of feelings, both like relief and sorrow. So for me, after that, my family became a lot closer and my dad became a lot more affirming to the point where we're, we're very close now. And, and while there are still plenty of microaggressions or just, you know, small things that are said, I, I can tell that he is on a journey of learning and, and that's all I can really ask from him. So home has gotten a lot better, but it, it took a lot of emotional work to get to where I am with, with him now. I, I mean, I imagine just making that decision that you are going to live your life out, right? To be in a to be in a gay relationship, to be open and self-affirming, even in the face of family members who didn't approve. This is such a big question, but I just I've counseled people who it was they just weren't there yet like the risk of being rejected by their family was so painful and so big that you know they they were just caught in that double bind where like they couldn't they couldn't feel comfortable with their family but they couldn't feel comfortable with themselves and and yet they couldn't choose one over the other how did you make that choice austin because i just i feel like that's so hard to do I think that's a great question. And I think exactly what you were saying is true. It's a large question. And, and to be honest, in my own experience, it, it didn't feel like a single moment, I suppose, other than coming out. But I felt like it was a bunch of small choices and small affirmations I had to keep making to myself to get to that point. Because uh, that change does not happen overnight. And even though I lived out, I could have still repressed a lot of the feelings and had a lot of internalized homophobia. And I did for years. I don't, I don't want to make my journey sound a lot easier than it was. I struggled a lot more than my boyfriend did for years to just show any public display of affection, any PDA. I did not want to hold his hand for fear of any negative comments. But over time, I leaned on my support network. I leaned on him. And I was able to, to affirm myself and affirm my identity. And... I, I think it's a lot of those small decisions, Sarah. That, and that you that have to make them all the time, right? You have to make them oh, all yeah. the time. It's not, oh, a yeah. one in, it's not one and done. Exactly. It's, it, it feels like you wake up in the morning, you decide what to wear, and then you decide how you're going to act for the day. And I think that's a struggle a lot of, a lot of queer people go through is, is today going to be a day where I'm able to express myself with authenticity? Yeah. What do you think your dad is going to say or think when he hears this conversation? He has expressed a lot of times that he's proud of me. Um, and I think that's all I've ever wanted to hear. Uh, and I think he'll be proud that, you know, I'm able to, to talk about this and share my story with others and be an inspiration to others. And I think he finds solace in, in me being a source of light for other people. Uh, although he's still kind of coming to terms with, with everything my identity means, I think he's just happy that I am still like 
his son and still a positive person. And I still am a, a good student and I work hard. I, I take what I can get. And I think that is something that we all need to uh, partially learn how to do while at the well, same it's time. It's worth it to you. What I'm hearing is, is it's worth it to you to be in relationship with him, even yeah. though it comes at, it's not, it's not perfect. It's not perfectly affirming, but it's worth it to you to, to cultivate that connection. It is. It is. Yeah. Let me ask you, I have one follow-up question. You know, I was wondering about the loss of your mom and Mm -hmm. imagining that she passed not ever really affirming you, Austin. I'm just kind of wondering how you, how that sits with you because I have, I have counseled others who lost a caregiver Mm -hmm. uh, before there was healing around sexual orientation and maybe there, there never would have been healing around sexual orientation and just I know we tend to internalize our caregivers and and their, yeah. and their rejection of us and so kind of mm-hmm. just wanted you to talk a little bit more about how you've negotiated that in the wake of her passing well that was very much a reality Sarah that was what happened exactly it was a bit of a drawn-out process she had cancer for context and it was a very drawn out process of, of watching her pass away. And the healing truly never happened. And I think largely a lot of my therapy in the past has been centered around kind of taking that moment and, and, and working on that. Uh, and what I found in searching within myself is I needed to focus on the thing she would be proud of me of, proud of me for, excuse me, I, I think she she had love for me and there were things that she felt I needed to change. And that was simply where we had to leave it. I, I think she is still proud of me for, for graduating with two degrees. I think she's proud of me for being a master's student. I think she's up there proud of me for working towards becoming a good doctor. And whether or not she approves of, of the other parts, you know, I have to affirm that within myself. And I think the rest is just kind of history. The rest of my family's approving and I'm approving of myself finally. So that was kind of how I healed. Yeah, I love that because it's not, it's like life has gotten so much better for you and it's not necessarily a fairy tale either. Like this is, this is real life where we have loose ends with people we love. Like it doesn't always get wrapped up in a bow. And I think that's another important part of resilience is it's like learning to struggle well or learning to live well with the struggles that may be ongoing in our lives or the places that, you know, that may always be tender in some way for you. But how do you how do you build a beautiful life around it for yourself, even if there is this tenderness or this hurt place with your mom that, ne- you know, that just, it's just life. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. You know, like life is not as clear, clear cut as, uh, as fairy tales are. So there's definitely a lot of learning how to struggle well. And I, I don't want, again, people to think that my life is some kind of fairy tale. I still struggle with, with many of the feelings I used to, and it is sometimes a daily battle of, uh, of affirming myself um, and not necessarily just relating to my identity as a gay man, but just in general, that much emotional trauma during formative years can be impactful. So it, it's okay if you are still healing. So if anyone is listening who is, is just going through that healing process still or is, is feeling that damage, you're not alone. We're, we're still working on it. And I think there's a lot of great resources that, that we have that, that will help you through that. And of course, we are on a CWC podcast, so I absolutely do recommend the Counseling and Wellness Center at UF. As I mentioned before, finding a good group of friends to run with is important. Uh, Prize Student Union, the Multicultural Diversity Affairs at UF, uh, they have an LGBTQ plus suite. Uh, and you can find like-minded individuals that, that can help you through that process of healing and, and moving forward. And I think there's some other great resources online. Uh, Trevor Project, 
uh, the crisis text line if you feel like you're in a moment where where you need help. Those are just a couple, and I'm sure Sarah, you have you have many more to talk about. But those have been those have been ones that I have utilized and found great use from. Yeah, thank you, Austin, and we'll we'll add some resources and stuff to the show notes as well. So you're in graduate school now, and you are working to become a doctor, right, Austin? Yes, somehow we've gotten to this point. Yeah, and that's, I guess I was thinking, so from this point now, why was it important to you to tell your story to other other college students? I cautioned you about coming on the show. So can you tell me a little bit about what your what your thought process was or what your drive was to share your story today? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I am an ambassador uh, with the Counseling Wellness Center. So I, I did hear about this opportunity and wanted to reach out because I felt as though people can learn something from my story. And like I mentioned at the very beginning, we all have those themes, even though our stories look different. We have those same themes and if my story can resonate with somebody else, or the themes from my story can resonate with somebody else and help them through what may be their, their rock bottom or even their healing process, I, I wanted to share that with them. I don't feel like that information should be kept secret from anyone, but sometimes we're just afraid to talk about it. So I wanted to be the one to, to voice it. That's lovely. And I share I share that belief that I think the more we can just talk about things, the being alone with this stuff is never it's never healthy for us, even if we have to be alone with it for a period of time just to survive. And that's exactly right. Nobody should have to live like that. I remember dealing with a lot of of anxiety and and fearfulness when I lived like that, and there there is another way. So please utilize those resources that we talked about. Begin your healing process, become resilient, and just just face what life is throwing at you because you deserve it and you're worth it. Thank you so much, Austin. I have really enjoyed our conversation and appreciated your openness and your vulnerability and your willingness to just tell us some painful truths about what the journey has been like to get to a place where you can live openly as yourself. Thank you for bringing me on, Sarah. I I really enjoyed the opportunity. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.